Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1. Page 290, if you're using our scriptures here. As we uh, begin a new year, we're all realistic enough to know that our problems will follow us from one calendar uh, to the next. But this morning, I trust that we learned something about the wrong way to address or respond to the problems we face. Generations ago, Frank Sinatra crooned, I did it my way as if that was something to celebrate. We see today that when we do it our way, there are serious consequences. So this morning we're launching a new series in 2 Kings. In the original Hebrew Bible, First and Second Kings was one continuous book or scroll, and it's thought that the reason we actually have a First and Second Kings is because the scrolls got too big. And so they, they divided it into two. And if you've been with us in the church for a while, you may remember it's actually been four years ago that we finished uh, or, or stopped, you could say, at the end of First Kings in an Old Testament study. So we're really just picking up our study from where we left off then. Some of the main characters you might recall from First Kings would be King Solomon. He built the temple and then his spiritual demise and the division of the kingdom and then... Uh, Bad King Ahab was, took center stage, and God's prophet was the prophet Elijah. And we really kind of pick up the story from there, because it's now 850 B.C., and Ahab is dead. You could say that's the good news. The bad news is that his son Ahaziah that we meet here today is just as bad as dad. And chapter 1 of 2 Kings uh, is really the only actual event or story we know about Ahaziah who only ruled two years. This story tells us why. So let's read the first two verses. After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. So King Ahaziah had two problems. One was political, one was personal. The political problem mentioned briefly is that Moab rebelled against him. His dad Ahab had a firm grip on the nearby nation of Moab and had forced them to pay tribute. We'll uh, take a look at that later on in chapter 3. Thousands and thousands of sheep and rams were sent every year to Israel. And uh, when Ahaziah is the new king, he is somehow perceived weaker or he is going to be tested and, and they refuse to pay it. Um, the second problem, the personal problem, is what this chapter addresses. He fell through the lattice of his upper room, mine says. Uh, translations, we're trying to figure out exactly what happened. But rooftops in ancient Near East were flat, not 
pitched like ours, and often there would be, the upper room was actually an exposed room, almost like an outdoor deck uh, used that way. And this uh, lattice, though we don't know for sure, was probably not a a vertical window, but was probably a a vent-like framework in the floor of that upper room that uh, allowed there to be some shade for the enclosed room below, and yet provided ventilation so the heat could escape, etc. But you wouldn't want to walk on it. But somehow, uh, Ahaziah misstepped and seems fell through the lattice and injured himself seriously. Why did he fall? We don't know. Uh, was he drunk? I suppose that's a possibility, but let's just assume he was clumsy. If it had been me, it had been being clumsy. But it was serious enough that he is in serious pain and probably has damaged some internal organs and he realizes he may not survive this. If there was ever a time for King Ahaziah to even pray a foxhole type prayer, this would be the time. Because Ahaziah knew about all about the true God of Israel. He was the king of Israel. And there were prophets, and there was the word of God, and he grew up knowing his own dad's conflict with the prophet Elijah. Doubtless, he must have witnessed that contest on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18, which was all about proving who was the true God, and the true God was the one who had sent fire that consumed that water-soaked altar while the Baal priests chanted in vain. In fact, the outcome of that was that all the known priests of Baal were executed in a spiritual purge. So, knowing all of that, what does Ahaziah do? He actually ignores God to such an extent, he sends messengers outside the country to basically a hostile nation, because at least there, there was a Baal god, Baal Zippub. You know, the human heart is really hard sometimes. The direction of our heart's either going to be away or toward God, either stubborn or humble, hard or soft. And going, sending to Ekron revealed the nature, certainly, of King Ahaziah. Let's get a little bit of a geographical perspective. We'll need to see this uh, from time to time in the book of of uh, Second Kings. So the kingdom by now is divided, and so the northern part is called Israel, and the southern part is called Judah. The capital and king at this moment, the capital of northern kingdom was Samaria. That's where King Ahaziah, Ahaziah is at this point. Uh, Jehoshaphat will be mentioned later on. He ruled in Jerusalem. So from Samaria, he sends messengers to go to Ekron because there, at least there are some Baal worshipers and Baal priests and prophets and and idols, bypassing actually Jerusalem. And the nations actually were were not hostile to one. The north and south weren't even hostile at this time. He could have sure, there were plenty of places he could have gone to consult with the true God of Israel is without question. But he goes to Beelzebub, <clears throat> the term literally means the Lord of the Flies, or the Fly God. <clears throat> you may recognize that term from the New Testament. The Pharisees one time used the term Beelzebub to actually refer to who? To Satan. And that's really 
the direction of Ahaziah's heart. You could say he's not only ignoring God, he is anti-God because he is pursuing the dark forces of the satanic occult world. Many people in our world, when their heart is hard, will do and pursue about anything to avoid pursuing God. The isms and the philosophies, atheism, rationalism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, whatever it might be, are, are not just like alternatives, like the culture suggests, you know, there's all these religion. It is actually God or anti-God that people are facing. So God steps in, verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Tishbite reflects where he was from, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult, consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you will not leave the bed you are lying on, you will certainly die. So Elijah went and delivered this message. Um, you're looking for answers about your future? I'm the God who holds and controls and directs and plans the future. Here's my plan. You're going to die. Verse 5. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? In other words, you didn't have time for a round trip. A man came to meet us, they replied, and he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him. This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending men to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. Accurate report. The king asked them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, He was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. The king said, That was Elijah the Tishbite. I think he said it kind of like that, too with contempt. A hairy man, literally, don't know if he was just one of those guys with plenty of hair or some translations take it as a hairy garment. Either way, that kind of was how he was recognized. And Ahaziah knew him well because of the continual rebukes that Elijah had delivered to his dad, Ahab. In fact, as a Hebrew-speaking Jewish man, Ahaziah would understand that the name Elijah is actually a phrase. Yahweh is God. It must be Yahweh is God, the Tishbite, that you ran into today. But Ahaziah instead seeks the Lord of the flies. So God staged an intervention, basically, and interrupted his plan to seek the wrong thing. God interrupts us to stop us and or to help us. I had to think a little bit this week, what if Ahaziah had humbled himself when those messengers came with the words of Elijah? What if he had humbled himself? The reason why I think that's a good question is because one time during his father Ahab's life, 1 Kings 21 tells us, Elijah was sent to Ahab with a similar message of judgment, and evil Ahab surprisingly humbled himself, put on sackcloth, and fasted. And guess what? God said, 
because you humbled yourself, I will delay this judgment till the next generation. I have to think that if he had humbled himself, Ahaziah would have also experienced the grace of God. So this is one last chance, it seems, at grace. Stop, don't go there. Consult me. Is there no God in Israel? Am I invisible? When God interrupts your plan, be prepared to hear his voice. I wonder how many times we've been frustrated by interruptions in our life and didn't really consider that God had very good reasons for doing that. Most of you know Priscilla and I had some interruptions to our plans this Christmas season. Bought this little home test box and got a pink and blue stripe. We're not pregnant. (laughs) But it interrupted some things that we thought were important. And um, COVID's done that a lot to a lot of people. But was God's plan ever, ever interrupted? Or has God staged an intervention that would be pervasive around the globe and force people to think more about life and death and eternity? And something that would be able to work its way into all of our minds and humble people of all kinds and all cultures that maybe we don't know or control as much as we think we do. Priscilla found this quote from C.S. Lewis this past week about interruptions. The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending day by day. So, where did God interrupt, intervene, intercept you recently? Did we consider that God wanted to stop or teach us or accomplish something bigger and better in his purpose? Well, by now we realize that Ahaz is in no mood to hear God's word. And when someone clashes with God, you can expect something's going to give. And so we, we should almost expect uh, to see God's holiness in this ne- next act uh, because his grace has been rejected. God, God refuses to be ignored. In fact, it's, I think this first chapter really captures what happens essentially as the theme of Second Kings. God refuses to be ignored and those who ignore God will face his fury those who heed God experience his favor and so we see these bursts of what we would call miraculous activity with either fury or favor throughout this fascinating book miracles become normal in 2nd Kings so 
it was Elisha, Elijah the Tishbite. So Ahaziah says, go get him. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. Wow. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he pleaded, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. Two companies or platoons sent with 50 men each to get Elijah and God destroys them both with fire from heaven. What do we do with this? Kind of bothers us, especially those 50, right? Was it overkill? Pun intended. Unjust? That these men die in a puff of smoke. Two, I think, important questions are, first of all, who do we blame? And secondly, why did Ahaziah send for Elijah? Why did he send the men? First of all, who do we blame? If we think this is unjust, who do we blame? Is it Elijah? No. This was not Elijah's doing. He was the, uh, the voice, the instrument, and if for some reason Elijah had taken this on himself and was morally wrong, God just wouldn't have done it, right? So if you're looking for cause, God indeed caused it. It's from heaven. God did it. But think about this. When, when Ahaziah got the report of what happened to the first group, Shouldn't he have recognized the fire thing? He was there. He knew all about the contest on Mount Carmel. It was, a, it was a contest about fire. The God who answers by fire, he is God, stated three times in 1 Kings 18 at the showdown in the Mount Carmel Corral. But did, did Isaiah, Ahaziah learn? No, and so God sent fire. And again, he sent fire. I, I, I hope. I hope as we look at our lives and experience at different times God's discipline, we don't keep doing the same thing, exposing the same character problem, and experiencing the same or similar consequences. But God is not hesitant to repeat himself. He indeed caused the flash of fire, but blame? Blame Ahaziah. Why did Ahaziah send these men? 
One Bible commentator, Dale Davis, said, the king was not inviting Elijah to dinner. In other words, he didn't send Elijah for clarification. Let's just, no. The message was clear, you're going to die of your injuries. He didn't send him for consultation. Elijah, what should I do? He had made up his mind. He sent these men as a declaration of war. And so just like Ahab, who wanted to kill, and his mother Jezebel, who wanted to kill Elijah, I think Ahaziah intended to silence Elijah permanently. But God's voice is not going to be silenced, and Elijah is not going to uh, die a martyr. God accepts the declaration of war. The 50 men are enemy combatants, and they die. There were no burials those days. They just disappeared, consumed by fire. The word consumed is actually the word <clears throat> that we use for eating. You put it in your mouth and it disappears, right? <clears throat> it's totally gone. Maybe reconnaissance reported there were, there were ashes. The first commander arrogantly demanded that Elijah come. The king says, in other words, Elijah, he's the king, you're inferior. The king says, come down, poof. Second commander, same thing. You'd, you'd think the second commander would already resist going. Oh, he goes out there. The king says, come down immediately. You, kind of sounds like a parent who's losing control. You just raise your voice and use the right now word, you know. No, another, another set of ashes. The army is decreasing. The zeal of God's fury is increasing. But Ahaziah is still stubborn, still unfazed. Commander 3 is rightly terrified because he is beginning to understand the holy fury of God. And so verse 13 says, he pleaded, fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire from heaven has consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. Nothing is said about the king and his authority, right? Just pleading for mercy. And God spared the third company, led by a humbled officer. I think this tells us something that everybody in this room needs to remember because it's very, very neglected in religion, in churches, that God is holy. And if we disrespect or ignore what he says, he's a God of fury. Don't ignore, don't resist, argue, fight. Don't assume somehow that you are an exception to his holy requirement. Ignore him at your peril. If you start a new year, it'd be kind of nice to have a message on hope and joy and love and kindness. But you know, when you open up this book, you will find God as he is. And sometimes he is an incredibly gracious God 
And sometimes he's a God of holy fury. And it's not haphazard or random which way you will find him. You will find him as he is for that situation. We open the book to be told, not coddled. So if this new year has some interruptions, are we prepared to listen carefully with full attention? And it doesn't necessarily mean... Interruptions do not mean that we are necessarily rebelling or living in sin. It could be he interrupts us to prevent us from rebelling or sinning. It's asking... Do we care about his holiness? Do we, do we acknowledge his sovereignty, his right in our life? And will we fix or adjust, adjust or fix our view of God to fit his sovereignty or holiness if that's what we're receiving? Because it, when we do, that's when we see his grace. That's what that third commander discovered. Because he and his 50 men all went home to their families that night. Because God is a God of grace. Man of God, please have respect for my life and, you see this, the lives of my 50 men. What a, what a different kind of guy. He respected God's prophet and he cared about his men. That's a spiritual leader by application. Two leadership principles. Leaders who arrogantly ignore God will cause suffering. Leaders who humbly respect God will protect others, thus prevent suffering. If we could compare these three commanders to three husbands, three dads, men, we are appointed leaders in our home. We're called to be attentive to God humbly, not to arrogantly ignore whatever God is saying to us. Because our response to God will absolutely affect those we lead. Every one of us is impacted by the parenting we received. By God's grace, that does not mean that we are all doomed to repeat any character failures that we may have experienced. Some of the godliest parents I know had to start from scratch spiritually. But if God has appointed you a leader in your home in any respect, your character will deeply affect those you lead. You know the three most important spiritual character qualities? Humility. Humility. Guess what the third one is? Leaders who humbly respect God actually are protecting those they lead. If you thought somehow that humility in a leader is weakness in a leader, just ask yourself which company of soldiers you'd like to be in. Good leaders acknowledge they need help. Godly husbands admit they make mistakes. Godly parents learn to apologize to their children. Because children at a very young age recognize humility very well. Our world has exalted a view of manhood that, is, that, that couldn't be more wrong. I, I would maybe challenge you as, you as you would think through Scripture, little New Year's assignment, 
Pick three leaders in the Bible that you admire and study them. Because what you're going to find is that humility before God and strength from God are two sides of that coin. Humility and strength perfectly fit together when focused on God. And your troops will thank you. So the angel of the Lord, verse 15, said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him, implying that you would have every reason initially to be afraid. Everybody knew what was going on when they sent for Elijah. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are laying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. At the end of of 1 Kings, you find that Ahaziah lived, or rather reigned a whole two years. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram, that's his brother, succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? So Ahaziah never had a son. Joram takes over and he dies in disgrace. You know, when something is repeated in Scripture, we must pay special attention. And you do know there's a very simple, clear emphasis repeated in this chapter. Is it because there is no God in Israel? Verse 3. Is it because there is no God in Israel? Verse 6. And now verse 16, Elijah gets a chance to say this face to face to Ahaziah. Is it because there's no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? I think that's the point. To ignore God when we know God is to disobey him. To ignore him when we know him is to disobey him. Ahaziah knew all about the God he was fighting. Ahaziah was no atheist. He knew God, but he posed him instead of seeking his help. Instead of seeing his need, his problem as a perfect opportunity to finally turn and seek God. He keeps his stubborn heart stuck on daddy's impotent idols. What if we do turn? What should we expect? About 100 years later, King, a- King, or rather, Prophet Isaiah said this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked, this is, this is, this is open to the wicked, no matter what we've done. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. He's not all about fire. God doesn't delight to send the fire. He delights to pardon, but there has to be a turning, a repentance, a change 
of direction. Grace. There was a way out. There was a place for Ahaziah. We'll keep facing hardships in 2022, whether COVID fizzles or not. There will be illnesses. There will be accidents. There will be financial issues. People will disappoint us, offend us, misuse us, hurt us, problems we can't solve. Where will we seek help for all the hard stuff? Whatever it is, in fact, whatever the cause. For a moment, let's think about some of our needs and problems and just throw them all in the same pot, okay? Caused by us, caused by others, caused by no one that we know of. In other words, Ahaziah could be he fell through the floor because he had had a few too many. Could be that the maid left a water pot in the way and it's her fault. So it could have been his fault, it could have been her fault. It could have been a dog barked and he, he, he jolted and fell. The dog's problem. But it's a problem. And so no matter what the problem was or the cause, maybe that's why we aren't told because we love to assign blame. We like to say, this caused this. It's, it's happening. It, it happened. It, it is. The question is, how will we respond? We can respond by ignoring God or by seeking God. So a couple of suggestions of kind of what it sometimes looks like to ignore God. Ahaziah was an example of denial. <clears throat> Choose an alternate belief system. I choose to believe Baal can help me. Or it could be the guy or woman with a podcast and the winsome personality and uh, some kind of self-focused philosophy that appeals to what I want. And suddenly the Bible and God thing is so predictable and boring and old-fashioned. I saw an article this week about basically describing how traditional churches have declining attendance, but at the same time there is an increase in attendance at some of these so-called spiritual retreat centers, and it's describing one where people fork out six to $8,000 for a week of spa and yoga and sessions on a new kind of spirituality which can bring healing to your soul, the website promised. Kind of sounds like Ahaziah. Anything but God. We can ignore him just by our own sense of control, a need, a fear, a problem, so we determine, I can fix this. I will, I will assert my will. I, I, there's something I can pay for, I can leverage somehow my, my position, I do it my way, whether you're Frank Sinatra or a two-year-old, you know, we kind of maintain that, a desire to, to, to do it ourselves, we might mumble a quick prayer, but there we are trying to answer our own prayer because we don't want to wait on God, or there's the retaliation method. Attack and blame others. 
We can spend our life blaming parents, siblings, bosses, people in authority spiritually, antagonists of any kind, that anybody that got in the way of our own pursuit of happiness or deflection or we excuse or defend sin uh, or redefine sin. It's, almost, it's kind of a common Christian way of, of, of ignoring God's voice. We can kind of pick our own spiritual poison that, well, this isn't as bad as that or I know that other, other Christians do this and um, I don't really think it's, it's sin. When, when you add the word really to that thing, it's a red flag that God is probably speaking to us that it is. So, so what if in our times of hurt and disappointments and fears and even failures, we would seek God and respond that way? And I, as, I said, as I put it in a bullet list, I'm thinking, you know, this, this is going to seem so simple and so cliche to any of us who have been in the Word of God, but I'm sorry, i got nothing new for the year. God's Word is just telling us the same things over and over. Humbly confess any sin. Even, as we said, if our problem seems unrelated to sin, and it may be, couldn't God use the problem, the downtime, the frustration to get our attention to some sin area? We've got to understand that we never conquer sin. We are, we are layers of an onion, and God just keeps peeling to, to the very core of who we are. And so, would it be okay if the Holy Spirit in his firm, gentle work, we'd be sensitive to, to whatever it is he is showing us about our sin nature because we carry it with us this whole life. And then to begin to pray and seek God's wisdom. Now, you know, it's what, what you already know from Scripture. It's what you would dig in to find in Scripture. So it's what you know, it's who you know. Sometimes it's that you would, you would ask those you trust, you know, is there a principle here that I'm needing direction? You know, when you play hide and seek with somebody really young, are you trying to hide or are you trying to be found? You're trying to be found. Do you think, you think God is trying to hide his truth? He's trying, he's trying to be found. Seek the Lord while he can be found. And here's a hard one, to pray and accept the circumstances. What if if healing, helping, solving, meeting a need would actually be eternally worse for us? And God knows that. None of us really wants that answer, but sometimes that's the answer. It's called trusting God. Or a close cousin to that is praying and waiting for God's answers. What if our timing or expectations of timing are way, way off? On Christmas Day, we had a really good phone call with one of Priscilla's sisters, and she was sharing with us how every Christmas she tries to learn something new from the Christmas story. And so she shared with us what she learned this year. She said it came from Actually, uh, Luke chapter 1, which is like the prelude to the Christmas story, it's when the angel first appears to Zechariah the priest. Zechariah and Elizabeth become the parents of John the Baptist. 
they had prayed for a child throughout their lives, but they were childless, and, and uh, now they were in their old age, so that seemed completely impossible. But Zechariah kept serving the Lord. He was a priest, so you farm most of the year, but a couple times a year you have your rotation, you go to the temple and you serve as priest, and he was, he was doing that. And in his old age, he's still doing it, and, and that's when the Lord, angel of the Lord appears to him and says, you're going to have a child. In fact, Luke 1.13 says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And that's what Priscilla's sister pointed out that struck her. That So all those decades ago, they had been praying for a child, and it was not answered, but it was heard. And so they probably quit praying by this time. It seemed impossible. But the, the Lord assures them your prayer has been heard. He hears prayers he doesn't answer. And that reveals his nature that he is always listening. Sometimes it's time to stop praying, but who knows what God is really about. The point is that Zechariah never ignored God or turned against God when his prayers weren't answered. He just kept obeying and serving God. And in God's plan for him and Elizabeth, he answered. What do we do in our time of need? Not be so terribly impatient and decide that we're going to do it our way. Because God is anxious to be sought, heard, and not ignored. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we all have interruptions, hurts, and you've, you've spoken to us in this passage in just so many different ways to our own situations that are crafted. Your, your hand is never off the lever of our life, and we want to acknowledge your sovereignty as we enter this new year. We want to thank you for so many ways we have already seen you at work in our lives, ways you have proven your faithfulness to us, oh God. We, we want to tell you we trust you. But Lord, we pray that you would uh, refine us and so that whatever this year holds, we are responsive to you, expecting that you will speak, knowing that you are at work even when we experience silence. So we look forward because we know you. We look forward to how you work in us and what you accomplish in this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.